Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to this episode. I get to sit down with Steve Speck from Exo Mountain Gear, the Hunt Backcountry podcast, and a great guy in the industry, been pretty successful in a few different avenues when it comes to the hunting industry. But I get to talk to him this episode about hunting caribou in Alaska. And I'll tell you, caribou has been on my list for quite a few years now, and I'm just really itching at pulling the trigger as soon as I get a little bit more money saved up. And I just want to get some cost associations with hunting uh, caribou in Alaska. I want to go towards, you know, Brooks Range, somewhere around there, which Steve has experience going over there and what to bring, what to expect, you know, realistic expectations. And Steve does a really good job of keeping somebody grounded in what to expect and the costs and maybe some of the hidden things that people don't think of when bringing their meat back. And uh, really appreciate his insight on this. And I would lo- absolutely love to have him back on the show again, and I plan on doing that. But this episode is caribou hunting in Alaska, and I really hope you guys enjoy. I'll see you in the end. Well, uh, let's let's basically start from the beginning. So I know uh, from my my personal uh, what I've learned so far is, uh, you know, what kind of costs are associated with it, and, and I've heard that I could do it for five grand or less a caribou hunt. Um, I I don't know what your perspective is on that since you've you've been there and done that. I I've been trying to set a budget of five grand and get it done and getting the meat back and everything for that or less. Uh, what are you, what's your experience on that? Uh, yeah, one one thousand percent. You should be able to do it for under five grand. Um, I think I think the rates went up a little bit. And I can't, to be honest with you, I can't remember. We're, we're doing the caribou hunt again this September, but I think mm-hmm. it was twenty seven fifty is what we paid for basically a drop camp hunt. So that's you know fly out of the you know some tiny little airport and and they drop you off in the field and then they come pick you and your meet up. Uh, you know, five to seven days later, depending on the hunt that you're doing. So I was like 2750. If you're good about your flight, you know, I think from from Boise up there is really pretty easy. Uh, Alaska Airlines is a great choice. Just you go into Anchorage, and then from Anchorage we flew into Kotzebue, uh, and that's your hmm. flight. So I think we're you know you're 700 bucks, six to 800 probably for that. Uh, hmm. Tags, you know, I, I can't. I'm terrible here. Um, <laughs> caribou tag it was the rates went up a lot and last time i haven't bought it yet for this hunt so i think we paid like 300 but i think they doubled the you know 600 700 something like that uh, right and i heard you can only kill one now versus when you some um, places you could kill I two i think that depends on where you're at in the state again i'm okay i'm terrible here and that i'm not an expert it's just the the unit that we've hunted um mm-hmm. is one caribou um, okay. They, they definitely changed that quite a few years ago. There's, I know there's a lot of um, debate on how the caribou herds are going, but I think a lot of it's very political, um, and and they're kind of uh, a little bit of a battle there between the native population and you know people kind of complaining about numbers being low and who's and what is the cause of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that I think the you know, resident, non-resident hunters, it was a very small percentage, maybe five or 10% of the total caribou killed and the rest were by the natives. Right. Um, and so it's kind of like, well, you know, cut back the, <laughs> the, the non-resident hunter tag in half, you're still really not making a big difference. So, um, yeah. I, I've been looking at like going Brooks range, um, you know, some, you know, I'm not really sure, but Brooks range is kind of where I've narrowed my area down for just cause I've heard that come up a lot. A lot of guys have had good experiences going to that mm-hmm. area. Um, what, what was the area that you guys went to and have yeah. you, uh, yeah, any, we were information um, on that? basically the South, uh, West side of the Brooks range. So okay. On the, yeah, it was, um, absolutely gorgeous. We were, right at the we were camped right at the foothills of the of the brooks hmm. so just, and then the way that uh if you're a cameraman or love taking photos the angle of the sun just never gets very high all day long so even <laughs> in the middle of the day you can take absolutely beautiful photos the that's awesome you know we the first time we went we went the end of august and it was it was early you know it was like the hunting could have been good just like you know, elk hunting in September, September 1st could be really good, but you know, odds are 
September 25th is going to be a lot better as far as bugling action. I think that mm -hmm. kind of the same rule applies up there as far as the, the, the migration. The later in September you can go, the better. Um, hmm. But uh, which is tough because you're, you know, we went in August last time so we could get back into Idaho for September and not miss out on a bunch. And mm -hmm. um, this time we're going right in the middle of September because it's like, if you're going to spend the time, energy, and money to get up there, you might as well go when it's really good. Well, right. When's the, when's the caribou rut? Uh, I think it's, I don't know. I don't know that answer. <laughs> I think oh. <laughs> it's kind of late, but you're not worried about, I mean, this is purely just, hunting them, migrating, um, you know, they're, I don't know if necessarily if they're rutting, the bulls are kind of all intermixed with the cows and, mm. um, you know, they're, I don't, I don't know when the rut is. I don't know if it's for some reason, the second you asked that, I wanted to say it was late, <laughs> uh, but I, I could be completely wrong. Well, no worries. No, it's, I mean, it's like you said, you guys are hunting the, uh, the, is that the 40 mile herd or is that a different area? Like I've always heard of the 40 mile herd and it's like, man, that'd be so cool just to even see that. But, um, I did, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's the 40 mile herd. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. I'm not, but man, I'm, I know I'm hitting your weak areas right here. <laughs> well, let's get into how your hunt went, man. And I know I'm going to have so many questions along the way. Like my main concerns, and these are probably just, you know, ankle sized hurdles that I'm getting hung up on here, but like getting the meat back and, you know, mm -hmm. hidden costs, you know, cause I went to Africa, dude. And it was like, I didn't know it was going to cost me that. I didn't know I had to pay a broker to get my animals back. I didn't know I was going to get ding storage fees at the airport. Like all these extra costs, you know? Yeah. So it's like, let's yeah. get into your, yeah, let's get into your trip, man. I'm, I'm really interested in hearing, um, how it went. And I know it was like, what, two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, I guess in put it in perspective, we, so we are, we went on a moose hunt. I want to say 2014, 15. Um, and it was kind of like, it was the biggest about letdown that you could ever have uh, <laughs> as far as like you have all this build up first trip to Alaska, going to go hunt moose, mm -hmm. you know, you have this all this built up in your head. And we were, it was a, like everything that could go wrong went wrong on that hunt uh, <laughs> the location. The hunting was slow, you know, just bad weather delays getting in and out of the field. And, and we were also mm -hmm. totally green and, you know, there's a lot of that's just Alaska. Like, you know, mm -hmm. we're so used to, and, and I think so extremely spoiled here, uh, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, wherever, um, you know, you just, if you're a resident, you just go hunting and you, you know, who cares if, the, if it kind of snows big deal, you either tough it out or you just stay mm -hmm. home for an extra day, wait for the storm to pass and go. It's like, but when you make all that energy, you travel up there, you got your, you know, on that moose hunt was like, I think it was 14 day hunt. Um, you, you know, you miss out on four or five, six days because of bad weather. Uh, that, you know, makes you kind of sour. And obviously nobody controls that. But uh, just a, it was, a, we did not ask, we were similar to what you're talking about with Africa. We didn't ask about all these fees and, and hidden things that, you know, you just kind of get up there and, oh, mm -hmm. holy crap, man, I got to pay $200 to get the moose meat flown to Anchorage. <laughs> and then the butcher there wants to charge how much to butcher it? And then, holy crap, it's $600 to fly the meat home from, from Anchorage on an Alaska Airlines flight. I mean, it was, I think mm. those numbers are pretty close to what, I mean, it was just like, whoa, that, that was, you know, it's still cheaper than buying beef at the store, but dang, it, it kind of got expensive. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I, it really all starts with finding a really good, um, essentially guide service and whether you know, it's an outfit or guide service most of well, everything we've done is essentially you're hiring a pilot and they help you with the logistics and drop you off in a place, right? Like you don't, you don't choose the place. They pretty much, you can kind of tell them what you're looking for and hopefully you can kind of develop a good relationship with them. Um, but they, they know where they're going to drop you off and they go drop you off. Um, hmm. But get a good relationship with one and hopefully you, you pick one that, that cares. The first time we went with on the moose hunt was a pretty big outfit and, you know, I don't know if we just had like bad luck, bad timing, but it, it was just more of like a customer service issue with communication, what to expect, you know, um, we just kind of had, it was definitely just, you felt, uh, you just weren't treated very well. The hmm. second time we went was essentially a husband and wife operation. Their daughter's the one that picked you up from the airport, you know, shuttled you around, brought you to the hotel, picked you up, um, 
the the lady basically like had you you got to so for meat getting meat home on this one you'll you'll want fish boxes uh, and whoever you go with just ask them if they basically have a table uh, that you can set up and, and butcher your meat and you're just gonna butcher that sucker up best you can as fast as you can throw it in a fish box uh, hopefully there's access to a freezer so you can get it frozen and then the next day you're gonna get on the flight you're gonna pay you know your overchar oversized baggage fee of like 75 bucks uh, and you're going to bring two boxes home, probably a hundred pounds of meats for $150 and it's done. Right. And you can either finish the butchering yourself or take it to your local guy. That is hands down the best way to do it. Hmm. Caribou aren't uh, very big. That was something that, you know, there was su surprising to both Lenny and I, when we went on the hunt, when we killed them and you kind of got up on them, it was like much more a small cow elk, big mule deer than, like a big cow elk, small bull, you know, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, so not a hundred pounds of meat is probably what you're going to get off of them. Um, and yeah, that's definitely the way to go. You just, you just want to butcher that sucker yourself. You know, I think we just essentially deboned it like we would uh, out in the field if we were, you know, five miles back in there and didn't want to pack out the bones, threw them in a box and froze them and then and got them home. So, so here you got just real quick, because some areas you're supposed to take Aren't you supposed to like take the rib cage and stuff? Yeah, I do think that's different rules for different areas of the state. Okay. Um, so better check the regs and find out what that is. On our moose hunt, you had to take um, you had to take the ribs, I believe. Uh, it's been a few years ago, but I'm pretty sure that was the case. And then on the caribou hunt, it was just. Uh, quarters, neck meat, back straps, tenderloins. Mm. I think that was it. Yeah, I, I don't think you had to do the ribs. And well, what about the uh, the hide? Getting the hide back, you just toss that into a fish crate too, or did you have it mounted up there? Um, so uh, both of us shot smaller bulls. We just decided to take um, just take. You know, we saw the antlers off, put those in a big box. I imagine I would do the exact same thing. Yeah, if you, you could get the hide off you know, do your best to get all the fat and meat off of it, get it frozen. And then, yeah, you're just going to fly that home with you. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I've always wondered how that works. How, like how getting a huge, you know, caribou yeah. rack. Yeah. I would think, work. Yeah. If caribou rack and you want to do a, you know, a mount on it that you might, I've, I'm not an expert on that one yet. Haven't, haven't been fortunate to kill a big one where it was an issue. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I know it gets really spendy and really time consuming though. The second you, fly away and leave those antlers in that cape there. Mm -hmm. uh, you, I think you better have a lot of patience and be willing to, you know, unless you got someone who's really taking care of it all for you, it's probably going to cost you some money to get that sucker home. Interesting. I well, know uh, Jason on our moose hunt, one of the guys that was with us, he, he killed a, a really big bull, kind of unique one. It was all clubbed out on one side. And uh, they, I know they flew everything. They put it on a crate, flew it to Anchorage, and then the taxidermy place there. I mean, they just kind of gorged them. It was it was a seven eight hundred bucks if I remember right, just to do a European mount on the thing. Really? Yeah, it was pretty pretty high. Um, I, you know, it's somewhere in that ballpark. Again, it's been been a few years back, but I just uh, I remember thinking when on this caribou hunt going into it two years ago was like okay let's you know just whatever it is no matter how tired you are or how you know you're gonna be lacking some time getting out of the field and you may have to you know get on your flight to come back to the lower 48 you know 5 a.m. the next morning you better stay up all night and just take care of that stuff and get it on the plane with you and get it home so to save you guys a bunch of money I mean yeah. my my hiccup with it and and maybe it's just because I'm I'm not going to say I'm cheap, but I feel like when I pay money to go on a hunt, like when I went to Africa, if I would pay, you know, 10,000 to go on a stag hunt or whatever, the pressure and if the weather was screwing me the whole time, I don't know if I could handle it. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, you're, you're the mercy of mother nature. You could pay, I don't know what a moose hunt costs, but you know, what does a moose hunt kind of go um, for? Like a 14 day for a hunt? similar, I think, you know, I think like I said, you could all in on a caribou, you're going to be you know, on the cheapest you could possibly do is maybe four grand and then five grand if you splurged a little bit. Um, hmm. I think a moose, you're probably eight, eight grand, eight to nine, something like that. Yeah. See, if With, I spent eight grand, I'd be like, 
I'm going to go there. I'm going to kill something that's going to be pretty good size. And if I don't, I'm not coming back. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> I know? hear you. I mean, that, and that was our first <laughs> trip up there, you know, in both trips we've, I've killed a moose and a, and a caribou with a rifle. Like I'm, you know, I'm a 99% <laughs> of bow hunter, but I, you know, we packed that right. rifle because like, if it comes down to it, right. I'm coming home empty handed. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you said that. Cause if, you know, I wish I, maybe I should go to an area where area where you can kill two, because I feel like if I could just drop one with a gun, yeah. I would have no pressure and then I could have fun. You yeah. know, not that rifle hunting isn't fun, but getting that monkey off your back and then just enjoying the trip, knowing, Hey, I've already got my, my caribou. I'm already coming home with meat. Now I can go out and struggle and fail. And, and it's not a big deal. Yeah, we did. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. We did. Uh, I don't think these podcasts have been released yet, but on our hunt back country one, we did, we did a two-part series with uh, a guy named Billy Moles, um, and it, it's actually – you could probably learn a lot more about caribou hunting from him than you can't listen to me because I'm sitting there – like, we're asking him all these questions. You're asking me. <laughs> he, he's been through the route and knows it a lot better. But um, he had a good input on that because he said he sees a lot of people um, do that very thing, right, like go up there with a bow and a gun, and, you know, you're like – kind of happy to shoot one with a gun you don't want to come home empty-handed but you prefer to kill another with a bow and, and yeah. he actually said he's like 90 percent of the time that person ends up killing it with a gun he's like i think you'd be better off if you're okay with it at the end you should just be okay with the beginning and just kind of enjoy the hunt a little bit more versus you kind of have to take that you take away that indecision of which which weapon do i pack today and um and i i think it's good advice because it's it's i said both trips i've gone on i ended up when you have that rifle like you know on your pack <laughs> or your buddy's carrying it and you, you see that moose or caribou standing out there at 200 yards you know it's it, and not a very viable option to get with a bow right then and there it's pretty tempting just to grab that gun so um but I, along along those lines is like i think in my two trips up there it's you just kind of you do you're at the mercy of so much stuff that's out of your control like i said i'm we're so spoiled down here of I can go hunt when I want, how I want, as long as I want, as short as I want. And weather, I mean, we don't get bad weather down here. Sure, sure, snowstorms come in and stuff like that. But in general, Idaho in September and October, it's pretty stinking nice. You know, every time I've been mm -hmm. to Alaska, you'll get like 48 hours of pounding rain, 40 mile an hour winds, stuff that's like, truly you have no option just to, but to sit in your, sit in the tent and just weather it out and, and wait for it to pass. And it's totally possible uh, on a, you know, five day caribou hunt that you can miss out on two to three days of hunting. I'd, I'd say it's guaranteed you're going to miss out on at least one day of hunting. Um, really? So definitely factor that into your plans. You know, we, I think when on our trip up there, I think we, we got stuck in Kotzebue uh, for about 36 hours from when we were supposed to get out, um, finally get out in the field. And then we had 24 hours of pretty nice weather, weren't seeing a lot of caribou. And then we had 30 ish hours of just literally 40 mile an hour winds. I, I remember, um, you know, I, I didn't have a, one of those, we had a gun and I was messaging on an in reach, a buddy of mine, you know, back here in Idaho, like, Hey, like at hundred yards, how much, hold you know like how much wind drift you got to hold for in a 40 mile an hour wind it was, <laughs> it was like something stupid like 58 inches or something like that like yeah. it was literally like even if one walked by us you know like you wouldn't have been able to shoot uh, um and so yeah you're just, just stuck there you just gotta wait and you know there's just uh, but th that's the allure of it all right is that wildness and something mm -hmm. is out of your control and um yeah you're better off to have the, have that mindset going into it, know that it's going to happen. And, and frankly, you're just really lucky if it doesn't happen and, and take advantage <laughs> of that. My luck, it'd be like all seven days or all 14 right. days fog. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> funny as, as you were saying that I, I had a buddy who basically I, I did the same thing you're doing to me. He went on the hunt probably three or four years prior. And I sat down <laughs> with him over beers one night and chatted and his hunt, I think he was in his tent for five out of the six or seven days. Um, Seriously. Yeah. Same Brooks oh, range man. hunt. I don't know exactly where, but just had some absolutely nasty weather and, and just couldn't leave camp. So that's interesting, but that's, well, um, you gotta be planned and prepared for that. Have a, have a tent that's going to hold up to that kind of stuff, have clothing that's going to keep you warm. I think once the wind, the rain 
stopped on us. The wind kept going for a while. And, um, you know, we don't we didn't have a temperature gauge out there with us, but it was probably like 25, 30 degrees. And then that 30, 40 mile an hour wind, that wind mm. chill was cold. We were I literally had every single piece of clothing we had on, you know, from from base layers to, to mid layers to, to puffy jackets and then rain jackets on top of that just to keep that wind from biting into you. That's crazy. Well, let's get into like, how'd you guys get ready? Cause I have one guy, um, wanting, he asked a question and he's like, how did you guys prepare, uh, for the back country and getting into shape and doing that on a budget? Um, he wants to know basically how you're getting into shape and preparing without spending a ton of money. So I'm guessing he's not wanting to go to the gym and spend, spend money going to the gym or spend a bunch of money on gear, getting ready for the hunt. Oh, okay. Um, Man, just get out and hike. You got a backpack. I mean, that's, I don't own a gym membership. I just freaking, uh, I'm fortunate <laughs> to live kind of in the foothills around Boise, Idaho. And I just go hike five days a week, throw a pack on. And I don't think there's anything better that you can do other than just, you know, do the activity you're setting out to do. So if you're going to go, go on a hunt, go freaking hike before it, you know, doing a bunch of squats in the gym is going to help, but not as much as just hiking. So. <laughs> Um, well, what about the uh, Exo Death Hike? Is that something that you and your buddies do, or is that a, something that other guys can get in on too? Um, it's still a private uh, kind of invite only. If someone wants to do it, they're, they're more than welcome to reach out to me. And uh, every year we have five or ten guys that I've maybe only met once, you know, um, uh, or never even met at all that end up, you know, we kind of converse and they end up showing up. So, mm-hmm. but it's uh, just due to the complexities and the logistics of that type of events where, you know, it's not something I can just throw a sign up out there and let anyone. In the come, so. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's aptly named from what I hear. I mean, it, yeah, like I hear it's, it's, it is a death hike. I mean, it is like, holy crap. Yeah. And, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I, uh, selfishly I do it just cause it, it's something, um, I used to mountain bike race for quite a few years and that's something that, you know, January, February, March, April, like kind of kept you on your toes and, and made you stay in shape and, I haven't done that, but I've been doing the death hike and, um, hmm. it's something it's, it's always in July. So I better be training, <laughs> you know, in, in March, April, May, June, getting ready for it. So I think, yeah. I think putting something on your calendar a couple months in advance that you're committed to, you're forcing yourself to do, uh, you know, it's, it's so easy and natural for all of us to procrastinate things. And if you kind of have something, a goal in mind, a few months in advance, it's going to get you, get it going for you. For sure. Well, and when your guys were hunting Alaska, did you find that, I mean, you had to be in super physical condition yeah, or were no, you guys, yeah, when I heard the question at first, I was like, it was actually a really easy hunt. Uh, was, you know, we, <laughs> we did have to walk. Um, you know, I, I think on our moose hunts, uh, you, it's terrible from like, from me being like ADD and wanting to get out and explore and hike, <laughs> but, um, your best chance was just sit in camp all day, every day um, walk a hundred yards away, a call and go back and sit in your camp chair and you could freaking sit there and drink a beer. And especially with a rifle, one would just walk by you eventually that they, how those bulls, they could, they could hear you uh, and, and not come check you out for 24 hours um, or really, really long distance away. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Um, so with a caribou hunt, I think it would depend on where your camp was. We were essentially like on the North end of this big flat Valley that was about three to five miles across depending on you know just in that area uh and all the caribou and the main kind of river corridor was right in the middle you know we, we had to walk two and a half miles every morning to get to where the, all the caribou migrated through for the most part but at the same mm-hmm. time there's ones that would literally come through camp you know i, I ended up shooting mine uh probably not seven eight hundred yards from camp on the last day hmm. uh, so yeah, I think being a, it's it's definitely not a physically demanding hunt. Um, at least where I was at, you do have the the tundra marshy crap to walk on, which is pretty terrible. Uh, it's kind of like it's it's you know you hit solid ground, and I don't care if I had to climb four thousand feet, I'd probably rather do that because uh, it's just frustrating. You just move so slow. Um, but as far I've- as like you know kicking your butt, it's really not that bad. It's it's pretty much flat. I mean I, I'm. Sure, there are some caribou hunts where it's hilly country and, and worse. Just the specific one we went on was was pretty easy. You know, I, I've heard other guys talk about that. I had a guy that he retired since, um, but he went to Alaska for caribou, and they ended up 
you know, hiking and hiking. And they said like, dude, it was like the marshy bogs were like unfrozen or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it just everything like you'd step on solid ground and then you'd look at what looked like it was solid. Then you go knee deep. Yeah. It's like, he's like, dude, it sucked. They ended up shooting two caribou right out of the tent. Just kind of like your guys' experience. They woke up one day. There's two nice caribou standing there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's how it happens a lot for guys. You know, I think it's just be patient and, but, you know, it's a migration hunt, right? So they're, they should be coming your way. Uh, there's no need to go chasing them. And really that, that's one thing we learned on the hunt or you, you learn, I think any experienced hunter, even, you know, not experienced hunters are going to figure out pretty quick. Like if you're not with a bow, especially if you're not in front of them where they're going to cross, you're not killing them. There's no, <laughs> there's no like, Oh, there's a caribou a mile away and he's walking away from me. I'm going to, you know, loop around and catch up to him. No, like it's, they're as good as gone. It's, uh, I was, uh, we did, uh, I was describing it to a buddy a couple months ago cause he's doing a, a caribou hunt at the same time and he's a big, big salmon fisherman. And I was like, pretend your boat is anchored and the salmon swam upstream. It's gone, right? Like there's no, <laughs> like you can't go get that fish. It's, it's gone past you and they're gone and, and you're just waiting for the next one to come upstream. So that makes sense. Well, I, I kind of want to get again, get into the gear aspect of it and, yeah. and, uh, you're such a good guy to talk to because you're well. You run or own the Exo Mountain Gear uh, packs, mm-hmm. and you've also got your hands in a few other things. And you're really knowledgeable guy when it comes to gear. And, and uh, um, I just want to ask you: Are you entrepreneurial by trade, or is that just a? I mean, how do you? How'd you get into to doing all this stuff? I mean, I, I know that's completely off topic, but this is something I've been wanting to ask you for <laughs> years. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I think I have a, a mind, um, like I can see things that need to be fixed. I can easily, like, I'm not like the most creative person in the world to, to imagine things out of thin air, but I can look at a backpack and go, holy cow, like, you know, that could be fixed. That could be changed. That could be changed. Bam, bam, bam. You know, and all of a sudden it's like, like you could fix a lot of problems. I see that stuff really easily in my mind. Um, and in all things in life, you know, I, I'm, I'm very analytical of, of my gear and always thinking about how I can improve it or stuff around the house or, I mean, a freaking lawnmower, I'm like, I buy one <laughs> and I'm like, ah, if I owned a lawnmower company, I'd do this, this, and this, you know, like just random <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and so that, that's kind of just my natural mindset. And then I, uh, frankly, it's kind of forced into it just from, um, the 0708 recession that hit, I had a, a family construction company and we're doing quite well. Uh, and then the economy just took a tank and, you know, within a few years, basically that went away and it was like, Holy crap. I, you know, I basically quit and I had like one year of college left and I, and I stopped going to school to, to work for the family company full time. Um, and you know, I, so I didn't have my degree and I was like, well, what am I going to do? I go back to school or I could just, go to work. And, and my mindset was just, well, I'm just going to go to work and start making money. So, um, at the time I was really kind of geeking out getting into bows. I was like building custom bows, taking limbs from one company and matching them up with cams from another company. And <laughs> just like, just kind of tinkering engineering, you know, with bows. Um, and, uh, I was like, well, I'm just going to start a, an archery shop. And I started an archery shop in my garage which evolved into the SNS archery website that we, that we run now. It's been, it's been 11 years ago now. Uh, yeah. Which is crazy. Just it's gone by pretty fast. But um, so that the actual starting the business side of it was forced. It was just flat out like, okay, I've, you know, I got a house payment to make. How am I going to do this? Um, and I, you know, I felt that I could easily just create my own company versus go and work for somebody else. And also at the time, nobody was hiring, right? It was, it right. was, was not very good. So, yeah, I graduated high school in 08 and getting a job was holy crap. It was that hard finding a job and yeah. went out and fought fire. That was a bad year, 08, 09. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I know that's that's out in left field here. But um, so I just I I wanted to ask you that for yeah. years. Like, dude, how how because you're that's those aren't the only companies you've you've been involved in. Yeah, or started. yeah there's been quite a handful at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's another podcast, but let's get it. <laughs> let's get into, um, so you said you're wearing a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, it's still trying to cut down on the wind and 
from a guy who wants to go there and be com- you know, as comfortable as I can be, what kind of gear and stuff would you suggest? What would you leave behind that you find guys or you guys using that you didn't need? Yeah, for sure. Um, the, there's two options generally with these drop camp hunts is one that can kind of do like a fully outfitted deal where they're going to provide you a stove, a tent, a cot, a chair, utensils, hmm. uh, your excuse me, your food, stuff like that. Um, and then some companies will do it kind of a la carte where you, you can just rent a chair and a cot from them. And then like the, the one we did, they're kind of all or nothing, like bring your own gear or we supply all the gear, um, at least from like the camping eating perspective, right? Not obviously not your hunting equipment or clothes, but mm-hmm. um, we elected, you know, you're going to get, uh, you know, say marginal gear at best. Um, you know, it's going to be probably like a kind of a generic Cabela's tent and, and things like that. And in the first trip, I don't like anything like that, especially on a big hunt like this. It's kind of out of my control, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll control as much as I can. Cause, uh, I, you know, if I know I can bring a really good quality tent up there, that's going to hold up and keep me comfortable. I'd rather do that than, than be at the mercy of what they provide. So, right. um, some people it's like, Oh, that's a no brainer. I, I don't have to buy the stuff. Like if you don't already own half the stuff that might not make a lot of sense, but, um, so really you're, you're going to be limited by two things. One, the, um, your, your drop camp service, the pilot, they're going to give you a weight per person. Uh, could be 50 pounds, could be 75 pounds. Um, I think, I think we were 50 pounds, not including your food and weapon, if I remember right. Hmm. So it's just kind of 50 pounds of clothing, optics, you know, your stove, your tent, all that stuff. So we, uh, kind of, an, you know, we're obviously backpackers, you know, that's kind of what we do. That's what our gear is based around. And so we just kind of went with a really lightweight setup up there. We had a, um, I think we had a go light teepee. Just as it's a teepee that, that Lenny, the, he's a co-owner of EXO with me. He's had for years and it's a pretty roomy one. Two guys, you know, it does really well in the wind. They don't make them anymore. They went out of business, but mm. just a good teepee. Um, and then had the bug netting. You, you don't know. I think the later in September you get, pretty much bugs are going to be gone. But if you go late August, early September, there's a chance. So we've been fortunate both trips that bugs haven't been an issue at all. Um, but we've had a full bug internet. Uh, the one thing that I would highly, highly recommend is a cot. Um, we bought some on Amazon for really cheap. They weigh like two, two and a half pounds. I think it's just like some Chinese knockoff, but you know, knew they were like <laughs> 70 bucks, but you knew like, I'm going to use this thing, you know, once a year, maybe. Uh, so I didn't want to go spend a lot of money on a, on a super nice one. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I recommend a cot, because, you know, I never ever would imagine using one here in Idaho, is you're usually going to be like on a gravel bar uh, on the moose hunt. We were on um, that, that tundra crap, and it's just like, it's not level anywhere. I mean, there's, there is no such thing as level ground or hard ground. Mm-hmm. Um, like when we, I remember when he pulled the cot up, you know, it was just like one part sunk down four inches, the other part sunk down two <laughs> inches. I mean, it was all, all over the map. And then on our caribou hunt, we were on a, just a super rocky, uh, runway landing strip that they made, you know? Um, and you, I think you could sit down and spend an hour and pick out all the rocks and make it as flat as possible. But the, the cot just kind of gives you that, throw it down and you're good to go. Um, and it's super you know, it's like four inches off the ground, super lightweight, small, compact thing. Definitely, definitely mm-hmm. worth it. Still hmm. brought a sleeping pad on top of that because you're, you're you know, that cot's not going to give you any insulation. And if it gets cold, you're going to want some insulation below you. So, um, man, you know, outside of that, like we just had Did a couple bring, uh... heavy duty dry bags that we threw all the gear in, like a food bag and, and the clothing bag. Um, and there's, I'm sure. Oh, definitely going to need some type of hip wader. Uh, we use these ones called Neos River Trekkers. Uh, they're kind of heavy duty. They were great for our moose hunt because you wore them literally like the second you got out of the tent until you got back in the tent. It was just you know you're just in water. It's kind of like duck hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, on the caribou hunt, we just you just had to put them on to cross streams. Um, and we had two different streams. One was a 
big stream. One was a small river that we had to cross to get to where the caribou were, and we had to do that every day. Um, and so you're going to want something to, to get across those. I know there's some, um, um, you, you, you would really, this would, we're having a really good uh, communication going with, with the drop, with your pilot service. Um, mm-hmm. Just asking them those questions, you know, like what, what can I expect? You know, they've got, you know, they know they're, where they're at, where they're taking you in general. They know, you know, they should be able to give you good advice there. Um, that's like our, our first moose hunt, like we talked about, asked, like no one ever even mentioned from the guide service to bring waiters. You know, it's like yeah. it's some newbie could have shown up without any waiters. And like they never asked us when we got on the plane to go out in the field, do you have waiters? It was just like, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, huh. And you, like, if without them, you would have not been able to hunt. You would have been able to leave, leave your tent. Um, so anyways, find a good guide service, ask lots of questions. You're going to get a, I would ask all those questions. Well, like before you ever book, you know what I mean? Like you're mm-hmm. going to find out pretty quickly if, if they're responsive and helpful um, and give you good advice uh, versus, you know, if they're not getting back to you or taking three to four days and then they give you a short, quick answer. Uh, you know, maybe I would look somewhere else. So, um, Interesting. But yeah, there's there's uh, like another called Wiggies. They're like ultra light hip waders, like super light material. I think they're they're only good for crossing a, a quick short stream, and then you know I think they kind of break apart pretty fast. But they're a little bit cheaper and, and probably get the job done for for you know a short caribou hunt. So yeah, I was thinking waders. I'm like, man, just hearing you talk about you know the the bogs or the marshy kind of areas, it's like, man, it'd just be nice to have like hip waders or even chest waders if you had to cross something that would just suck if, yeah. if you didn't have them. Yeah. And it's, mean. that's where you're just going to have to add, like, it's, I think it could be so conditional, uh, on where you're dropped off. Like what would be ideal for that? So mm-hmm. our, our Neos ones were pretty overkill for our hunt, you know, cause they, they weigh, they're light, but they still weigh a couple pounds and you got to strap them to the outside of your pack and pack them all around all day for, you know, you're, you're hunting for 16 hours because it's light forever. Um, and you're packing them around all day just to cross, you know, two small rivers, um, <laughs> you know, you wear them for five minutes. So, um, but yeah, it, like I know on our moose hunt, we, we were talking to one of the guides in the hangar and he's like, I can't believe you guys are out there. We're just hip waders. Like you need full on chest waders. And I'm like, yeah, we hmm. found that out. You know, I had wait, water go over <laughs> top of our waders like once a day because it same story as your buddy you'd be in like shin deep stuff. And then the next step would, <laughs> would go over the top of your hip waders. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, just uh, really communicate with the guide service. And, and uh, I'd listen to, I guess I'd listen to as many podcasts like this where people are doing kind of question and answer, build up mm-hmm. a long list of questions and um, probably wouldn't bombard the guide service with, with 50 questions at once, maybe start like with five and, kind of just work away because if they get too long of an email, they, they, you know, it's going to be tough for them to answer, especially if you haven't booked the flight already or booked the, the hunt. Right. Well, it seems like some guys like, especially from the, from the stuff that I've looked at, you know, they give you an equipment list or the ones that, you know, and just when we went uh, on our trip, it was like, okay, here's what you need. Here's what you don't need. You know? And it's like, man, what you don't need is actually quite surprising. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some of the things that you would need, like some like waiters to me, that just seems kind of like common sense. But for somebody that may not expect that you'd, like you said, that you'd be really screwed being out there. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. I mean, it's a, five grand to sit in a tent. <laughs> a, a good guide service. Like I said, the, the one we were using for the last hunt and this hunt, I mean, they're vested in you being successful, having a good hunt, enjoying yourselves. And whether you come back or not, or they at least want you telling your buddies about it. Um, right. So a good guide service should care about that. They, they should help you. They should line you out, give you good advice. Um, so, yeah, I would, they like said, hit them up and, hey, what's your recommended gear list? And, and ask questions. And that should really help it, help narrow it down for you. There's, you know, I the, the, the place we use, they gave a gear list. And there's still, like, uh, I guess a lot of stuff. It's pretty generic basic one you know um mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff i probably packed that they didn't mention that i would know that i want for for my own hunting purposes or glassing purposes or something like that and then there's some stuff on there absolutely you're like oh wow i didn't really think about that so um 
yeah, I think I wouldn't have their gear list be the end all be all, but a, a really good jumping off point for you. Are you guys using the same guide as you did last time? Did yeah. you have a good enough experience? Yeah, oh, yeah, that fan, fabulous experience, and, and definitely using them to go back. Perfect. Are you? Are you? Is that a secret, or are you gonna? Is that gonna be public knowledge? Um, no. Yeah. It's uh, well. You so we booked the hunt through um, Outdoors International, uh, Russ Meyer, and okay. then it's kind of his contact is the guide service. So if you, if you want to check into that and re reach out to Russ. I think it's just Russ, Russ at outdoorsinternational.com. Okay. Um, and he'll line you out. Um, Perfect. Yeah, he's a great, great resource for all that stuff. So. You know, that that's something I've thought about going is like a hunting broker. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and Russ doesn't just, cost you any extra money. Essentially he just, he works with the, you know, the guy, the outfitters, um, you know, and basically gets the hunt at a discounted rate and, and then sells it to you at what they would normally charge, but you just kind of, you get a lean on, on Russ for, you know, his experience. He's done the hunt before. He can be someone who helps you with the questions. Um, so definitely, uh, it, I would research into it and reach out to him and he can definitely help you. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Cause I'd want to, I'd, I'd want to hunt like you having a good experience that automatically makes me want to go hunting with somebody that I know who's had a good experience yeah. got into animals. I mean, then booking with somebody random, even if they do, I mean, the, the word of mouth there, it's really, I mean, the, like Africa, the, you know, Americans are some of their best clients over there because they tell all their friends and then their friends come over and it's just, you know, they want you to have such a good time. So, yeah. um, I mean, just that Russ guy, definitely, I'll put his, his uh, link in the description box below for the guys that are listening to this, but that to me, that's a really good tip. Is get a hold of that guy. He'll know exactly who to go to. Yep. Or, yeah, or I think you can hit him. him up for uh, time of year, weapon, you know, budget, mm -hmm. and then they kind of steer you in, in the right direction. That's a good fit for you. Yeah. Well, let's get into um, the pack that you're using because I have a 5500, and my my reasoning for the 5500 is like, well, I can fit more shit in the 5500 than I can anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what pack did you use and what pack would you suggest for heading over there? Um, I mean, really you could get away. It's not a backpack hunt. You know, I, I, we get this question a lot. It's like, Hey, I'm doing a, you know, a 10 day moose hunt in Alaska. I need the, you know, I need a big bag. And, mm -hmm. and like, well, I, I don't think you, you know, I try to tell them, like, I don't think you quite understand is why you're out there for 10 days. You're not backpacking for 10 days and you're going to have, um, like I said, we had like, I've got these dry bags from a, a steelhead float that I do every year, just big burly river bags. And we use those and they worked great. So threw all our gear in there, checked those on the airplane. They, they worked, worked great. Uh, the pilot service is going to prefer that you have soft luggage so they can jam them into different compartments on the plane versus like, the first time we went, we had these hard uh, plastic totes, um, and those are just harder to fit in certain places, you know. So makes sense. Um, so the dry bags were great, and then yeah, I mean, I could have been doing all my hunting out of a two thousand. So uh, really, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just uh, you know, yeah, I kind of had some big all my insulation layers. If it got warm, uh, they were in the pack, so it takes up some space. But you know, you're, at that point, you're just day hunting. You're just you know mm -hmm. a couple miles from camp, and you walk back, or you know. I think most realistically, like on your caribou hunt, you're probably never more than a mile and a half, two miles from your camp. So while that may take a little while to walk back because of the, that frozen tundra crap, um, you know, it's not like you're, it's not going to take forever and you're not super, super far away. So what kind of, uh, clothing and stuff were you guys going with for, for that kind of hunt? Um, you know, I think just a mix and match of, of a bunch of stuff that worked well. I know um, I have some just merino wool long johns. I, ha I brought some uh, like waiter, like they're like long johns for going inside of waders, a little bit thicker, um, sort of right. like, for like late season fishing. Um, mm -hmm. I brought some of those just because they were kind of warm and, and fairly lightweight, and I thought I could layer up. I, I would definitely just have like definitely have your layering strategy going on, you know, like super light, mm -hmm. I had basically lightweight Merino long johns. I had those other, the, the fishing waiter ones, which were like half long john, half sweatpants. Um, and then I have like the Prana stretch Zion is my favorite hunting pant ever. 
Um, you know, I think I had a couple pairs of those. Uh, and then I had some rain pants on top of that. Uh, I would don't think if you have access or want to buy some puffy pants, uh, I don't think those would be a bad choice. Um, mm. You know, some type of something to give you some good insulation because it can get just freaking cold. I mean, I'm, I know during that, the, after it rained, like I actually put my, I have a, a lightning equipment quilt I use uh, instead of a sleeping bag. And I, I packed that thing around because we, when we got to a glassing point, you know, I, I busted it out and kind of crawled inside of that just to keep warm. That, that wind was just cutting through. And so anything that's lightweight insulation layers would be a great idea. Um, and then, yeah, I just had some first lights. Uh, I think it was their, their, I don't know if they make them still or not, but they're boundary storm tight uh, rain pants. Hmm. And then pretty much similar setup for up top. I had, um, I had like a, you know, a couple of merino wool, mainly first light stuff as base layers. Had a one of their their uh, uncompagri puffy jacket. I have like a super light Arc'teryx uh, puffy sweater that I've used for quite a few years. When I want like really lightweight down insulation, so I had that, and then and then another rain jacket on top of that. So uh, like I said when it was cold, cold. I was wearing everything I brought. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, and I would definitely. Um, I would definitely have extra dry clothes at camp and don't, um, don't ever leave camp with stuff like, uh, just like say you had your extra clothes and you just threw them inside your tent. I would like throw them inside of a dry bag and then throw them inside of the tent. Just, mm. I think like wind could pick up, grizzly bear could come in. Um, there's just so many different scenarios and, and you know, you gotta be a little bit more, thoughtful as you're doing things of like what could happen and you know you're gone at camp all day long and and your tent blows over and then it starts raining uh you mm -hmm. know everything could be soaking wet so definitely kind of you know realize that there's a really good chance it could get bad and then no somebody might not be able to get to you for two days or three days if it's bad weather so just be That's you know pay attention to that stuff that's a good point. I, I asked because of the rain gear aspect. I was, uh, my wife got me the storm, uh, seek jacket, uh, -huh. uh, by first light. And I was salmon fishing up Tillamook, North Oregon coast. And we were just getting crapped on all day. We got one nice fish, but we were just getting dumped on all day. And then it just got to the point where we're all like shivering to the bone. Like, dude, let's just call it. Yeah. And, uh, I take off my rain jacket and pretty much the zipper wasn't waterproof like wasn't even close to being waterproof and it i don't know i just wasn't really happy with it um mm. and so i i think i'm kind of looking for a new rain jacket <laughs> <laughs> i have a seek jacket i've always really really liked that thing oh yeah really a faulty zipper or if i've never noticed that the zipper leaked but yeah uh, i mean we were sitting in the rain for like four hours just just sitting in the rain and i'm like well i'm gonna find out if my you know my shit's good and then uh <laughs> If I was going to wear that again, I'd probably duct tape any zipper anywhere. Uh, <laughs> huh. I yeah, I would um, – honestly, I would reach out to First Sight and see what they say about that. That's um, – I've been in um, – well, I just did a steelhead float trip in November, and I had my seek with me, and it rained for uh, like, you know, pretty much two days straight, and we're fishing. You know, we fish hmm. no matter what the weather is, and so we got freaking pounded on, and um, I, don't, I don't remember it leaking on me at all. That's crazy. You know, I seem to always buy this stuff. I joke around. I bought the stuff that was made at like 4.55 p.m. Friday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you want to uh, wanna go to the doctor first thing in the morning not at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Well, you touched on another area that I know I'd be like a big wuss in, and that's grizzly bears. Did you guys have any troubles with grizzly bears? Because I know I probably couldn't even fall asleep for like – I don't know. I I don't mess with grizzly bears. I have no experience with them, and maybe they're not as big of a problem as I think they are. But uh, what was your guys' experience with grizzly bears? Did you guys yeah, have any? Yeah, um, honestly, exact same as you. The um, the first moose hunt, you know, it was like, oh, we're gonna run into grizzlies, and um, you know, they're like, well, maybe you know, they're not they're not around. You know, it could happen, and then like we're. I think if you were, you know, in the foothills away from where we were moose hunting, it's a possibility. But we joked like once we got done that the there wasn't any grizzly bears in there unless they uh, figured out how to grill gills and swim all the time. Uh, <laughs> but on the on the caribou hunt, absolutely. I think we saw oh five or six of them during during the you know during the hunt. 
Um, most of them were off in the distance. The, we did have one the night um, or the very last day, basically right above camp, probably 500 yards away. It was actually pretty fun to watch. I think it was Big Sal, and she was up there like eating berries and like literally like laying on her back and scratching her back on rocks. And it was pretty kind of – we sat up there for like a last two hours of light, and we literally went to bed with a grizzly bear five, 600 yards away on the hillside. Um, and, you know, I was uh, – I think Lenny was more nervous than I was. And in hindsight, he was probably – too nervous and I probably wasn't nervous enough um you know like because it's a real probability that um you'll you'll definitely have to listen to the podcast with Billy Poles um once we release it uh, Mm -hmm. because he talked specifically about this and gave some really really great tips um he's had a lot of experiences with them and and great great tips on what to do and not to do um because in general like our guy, the the pilot that dropped us off told us to, you know, put the meat, like in my mind, I'd want to put the meat as far away from camp as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you talk to Billy and he's like, well, yeah, if you put it too far away from camp, they're just going to steal it. Your meat's gone. You might as well just not have killed the caribou. Um, hmm. And then he said, our guy told us to put it like 100 yards away from camp. And I was like, really? That's it? Like, you know, it needs to be further away from that. And talking with Billy, he's actually got to the point where he puts the meat like right next to his tent. Um, oh, and it geez. sounds crazy, but if, if they're bears that are trained uh, to hear gunshots, to go get meat, the closer it is your tent, you know, they're, if they're coming into your camp, they're going to get that meat. They're probably not going to try to kill you, right? There's just meat there already for them. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's a much less chance that they're going to take have the – you know, the balls to, to come right next to your tent and, and take that. So mm. it was pretty interesting. You know, like I was, as, as he was saying, I was like, holy cow, that's, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> I still don't know if I'm comfortable with that. But, um, you know, he had to, he had some good insights. So, um, but yeah, we, you know, we went to bed that night and you were, you know, butt was puckered and I think we ended up, you know, taking a couple of Tylenol PM so you actually do fall asleep at some point and just right. hope you're not awoke by a bear scratching on the outside. So. We, I know. I'd be like afraid to cook anything yeah. that smelled good. <laughs> right. We we talked to, um, you know, we obviously asked a lot of these questions going into it and, and talked to, the, um, you know, the, the guy service that we used. And um, they basically said they've been doing it for 20 years, 25 years. They've had a dozen incidences where – Bears have got into camp, tore up tents, tore up sleeping bags. But they almost, like, in general, they said it's because some of them, like, the hunters were being stupid. Like, one specific instance was they killed a caribou. The guy had bloody pants. He left them in the tent, and they went out and hunted all day. They came back, and a grizzly bear tore up the camp, right? Hmm. Another another one they had, you know, they'd been cooking a bunch of food and inside the tent. Um, and so she was just like, you know, use common sense be smart uh, and you'll be fine, you know? Um, so, but there's still like for what I liked about up there was it was open tundra. The only time that you were ever going to get surprised by a grizzly bear would, would have been during the river crossings. Like each side of the river had 20, 30 yards of brush. Uh, and so I was definitely like, I think I had my pistol in my hand, you know, as we were going through that brushy stuff, um, just, you know, be ready and be alert for sure. Uh, yeah. And then the rest of it was, like I said, it was so open that it was kind of a non-issue for us when we were actually hunting. I mean, I think there, you could have gone over a little knoll and had one, you know, 50 yards below you that you didn't see until you crested over that. And um, I suppose that could be an issue. But um, And then from there, what you do, that man, it sounds like that's up in the air, whether it's pistol, bear spray. Um, yeah. We did a podcast where these guys out of Montana are, are – swear by um like a marine flare um that mm. that's the best you know because the uh bear spray is fantastic when the wind's at your back but if it's in your face or blowing hard left and right your your sol pistol works good if you can shoot you know and you, and you um i think they did the math on like if the bear's at 50 yards and decides to charge it's like one point something seconds that they're going to be on top of you 
Uh, yeah. So the odds that you're actually going to get the pistol out and get a shot or two off uh, and an accurate shot, those are pretty stinking low. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, I, that's a crapshoot. I think I listened to that same episode. Um, and they said like a 10 millimeter was like the best yeah. one. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, re- I remember that being pretty surprising as well. Um, but mm-hmm. the guy said they did a bunch of ballistics tests shooting through heavy stuff and, and that essentially the speed and diameter of the slightly smaller bullet, uh, has a better chance of penetrating through the skull and getting in there, uh, mm-hmm. versus a, a bigger, heavier, slower bullet might just get stuck. Um, which, uh, you know, I think you could kind of see how that makes sense. No, absolutely. Well, uh, I know we're getting close to an hour here, Steve. So is there anything that, uh, you want to leave the audience with or any closing thoughts on, on hunting Alaska caribou or beginner's guide? Um, you know, I think my advice to everybody on in any aspect of life is just do it. Uh, <laughs> you know, everyone's scared. Everyone's nervous. Get off the couch and do it. Uh, stop making excuses. Stop saying next year. You know, I said whether that's getting into shape, uh, starting your own company, or, or going on an Alaska hunt. So you're never going to learn until you do it and just go. Figure it out as you go. You might make a bunch of mistakes, but freaking who cares? You know, live and learn, have fun, and move on to the next adventure. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. I, I know uh, there's got to be a second one here because I one of the niches for our uh, this podcast is kind of talking about helping people grow their platforms and stuff like that. And mm. you've had a lot of success with a lot of different aspects of of the hunting industry. And I think you'd be an awesome guy to pick the brain on that. So we might have to schedule another episode sometime if you're willing to come back onto the show. Yeah, absolutely, man. Just reach out and happy to happy to do a second one with you. Awesome. All right, man. Well, I'll let you get going. I'll definitely put all your, do you want to give them some links and stuff for they can get a hold of you and your podcast and stuff? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, the XO mountain gear, EXO mountain gear is the, the company just XO mountain gear.com, uh, on Instagram. Uh, we, we call ourselves at hunt back country. Uh, and then our podcast is the hunt back country podcast. And it's, uh, pretty much on all the normal podcast platforms, Stitcher and iTunes and whatnot. So, and, uh, yeah, if anyone ever wants to reach out to me personally, it's just Steve at exomountaingear.com and, uh, always happy to, to help answer questions. Um, help fellow hunter out. Awesome, man. Well, are you going back to hoodoo this year? Um, I think so. I got uh, baby boy coming May 6th. So oh, I didn't hoodoo know is like May 29th. So it'll be, uh, <laughs> need a baby to come on time mama to be happy and you know, I, was, I got my daughter's two now so i was like oh, i could probably uh load her up and and have her follow me around as well so <laughs> i'm trying to plot my way to get there but there, there's a chance i'm not so awesome well i plan on having a booth there again so if, if you end up having a booth we'll have to get together there and, and hang out or something absolutely man all right see you steve yeah have a good one see ya all right, holy shiitake mushrooms. This is, uh, I don't even know what episode this is. We're approaching 40 really freaking fast, and I am excited. I am pumped up. I am motivated as hell. You guys are are just lighting me up on, on Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube, on Podbean itself, at Patreon. Uh, we got some momentum going, guys. We got some big podcasts coming. Uh, not that you know I I hate saying that now honestly because I I sound like a salesman you know every episode should be big every episode should be on point you know pun intended Uh, every episode should be as beneficial to the freaking subscribers as possible so when I say um, when I say big episodes it's guys that are larger than than in, in, in the industry than what I've had on doesn't mean that you know what they have is any more important than the small guys but I kind of get excited that now we're attracting some of the bigger names on here. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, but, uh, you know, totally excited for where the podcast is going. I'm getting a lot of guys asking me if I'm going to these these shows. And hindsight, you know, maybe next maybe next year I will. SHOT Show, ATA, some some shit over in Pennsylvania that I've never even heard of. <laughs> uh, I, that's across the United States for you guys. So you guys got to give me a little bit more time to, to build and grow and, and fund that. But... Uh, maybe next year we'll start hitting some of these uh, some of these shows. Uh, for guys that are wondering, I am going to be hitting Hoodoo up this year. We are going to have a booth. I want to do something badass like a long range competition. Um, I want to be shooting right there with everybody, and uh, could not be more excited to see where this thing goes. So uh, give me your guys' feedback. If you're even listening to the outro here, 
Um, I've got some areas uh, that we haven't covered yet. I'm an archery guy. Everybody knows that I'm archery. But um, I've said it a few times on here as well. I, I'm long range. I love shooting long range. I don't do it near as much as I used to. I want to. Um, but you know, if you're going to be at great something, you know, if you're going to be great at something, you got you got to stay in your lane. Uh, but at the same time, it is on my heart. I am enthusiastic about it in long range hunting and and, and just shooting, just shooting shit at like a thousand yards and hear it going quang. It's so freaking rewarding. It's like it's like hearing an arrow hit at a hundred. 50 yards it's just it's it's right there <laughs> it's right there and i know a lot of you guys that shoot archery also shoot rifles and guns and stuff so um if you're down for that let me know um i can just make it a patreon thing i can just make it a youtube thing or i can make it all platforms and just blitz that bitch so let me know i'm totally down to do it and uh just fired up for where this thing's going i've been rambling for two minutes and 50 seconds so i'm gonna get off here Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you on the next one, guys. Bye.